Hey, this is Fireman Rob. You know, optimal performance isn't something that happens just by accident. I know this for a fact from being a fireman and doing way too many Ironman triathlons and full firefighter gear. But everybody always asks me, what's your secret? I can give you one secret. That's the right stuff, hydration. Hydration is important when it comes to being present in the moment, ready to run into the fires and being capable of showing up every single time at your best. The Right Stuff was created for NASA by NASA for their astronauts. Now it's trusted by professional athletes in Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and most of the top tier college sports. It's not an accident to prepare yourself to be great. If you're looking for that next edge, go to therightstuff-usa.com and enter the code FIREMANROB and you'll get 10% off at your checkout. This is an opportunity I wouldn't pass up. I have and still do use The Right Stuff. It's serious hydration for serious athletes, from the weekend warriors to those on the front lines. Make this a part of your habits to be the best you daily. Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same blood, the same blood, stay by your side, it's right or die, we've got the same All right, welcome back to Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today's guest, guess what? It is her first time ever to be a guest on a podcast. You know, I wanted to pick her because... Uh, her history and her story is so powerful and she is the the glue that keeps together this man like called Doug um and a lot of other people who are going through uh, trauma in the first responder community but she's also a teacher so she keeps the glue she's the glue for a lot of kids so Karen Monda thank you so much for being on the show today Hi, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited to be here, though, actually. This, this is awesome. I mean, this is, this is you know, this is uh, really celebrating what you've done. And I, at the same point, I don't think a lot of people understand um, where you've come from. I've dug deep, uh, no pun intended with the dug. Um, but I... <laughs> I, you know, I want to start off with something that uh, we had talked a little bit about this in the beginning, um, but uh, I want to go back to um, when you had your surgery, um, when you had skin cancer, because this is a this is something that I didn't even know about, and I, I want to go back to that, and I want you to kind of paint the picture of when you found out, and then. Mm -hmm. What was the idea after you found out? Like, where did your mind go after that? Uh, well, um, I, I love that you're asking this because this actually really kind of even goes back to mine and Doug's beginning, if you will. Oh, really? Um, yeah, kind of. So Doug and I met in 2013 um, and... And there's, you know, there's definitely a story with that. But in 2000, 
15, uh, we got engaged and uh, I found out that I had well, I had this little spot on my nose, a tiny little spot on my nose. And so we're planning this wedding. And I kept saying to him, you know, babe, what do you think this is? What do you think this is? And he would say, <laughs> it's nothing. You know, you can't and, even and, see it. And uh, let's premise by telling people that Doug was a former undercover narcotics agent. Yes. Um, and, and like he, I don't know if Doug would be that prototypical doctor. Well, true. <laughs> true. Uh, and it really, it didn't look like anything at the time he was actually still working. Uh, but it, it really didn't look like anything. It, it was tiny oh, wow. just on the tip of my nose. It was skin colored. And he said, I don't think it's anything. I said, I really do think it's something, but I'm yeah. not going to go to the dermatologist until after you marry me. Cause I'm not going to have them cut my nose off <laughs> before you marry me. Uh, wow. hindsight right? That's actually kind of what happened. So flash forward, we got married and uh, probably about 16 months after I first saw that spot, went to the dermatologist, they did a biopsy. Uh, They didn't even want to do a biopsy, but I forced them to. They didn't think it was anything either. It turned out to be basal cell carcinoma, not really a big deal. One of those things they just slice off or burn off no big deal uh and but they said that they were going to have to take it out with Mohs surgery uh i had never had a stitch in my life and so no kidding. oh my god yeah never had a stitch in my life so now they're talking about putting stitches in my face and i'll i'll Which admit I'm scary little, yeah i'll admit i was a little vain And I was very, very scared. So I looked up the best plastic surgeon in our county. And sure enough, he did these types of Mohs surgery. And so I scheduled to go in on my birthday. uh, Well, happy birthday to you. I know. You're like, I hate birthdays. Tiny, tiny little thing. He said, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. Well, sure enough, when they went in, they found that it did not it hadn't grown in where we could see it. It grew deep and it grew all the way into the cartilage of my nose. And so when I came home on my birthday, I pretty much was missing the tip of my nose, um, the entire tip of my nose. And the next day I had a really, really radical surgery called a forehead flap. Uh, They cut probably two inches up into my scalp, all the way down my forehead, um, and had to reconstruct my nose. I had between staples and stitches, probably a hundred staples and stitches in my face. Um, Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. It, It was a traumatic experience, but I, Doug was so loving and so caring that within I think within about three days, I was really ready to show the world what skin cancer or what what skin cancer can actually do to you. And I became a huge advocate of of uh, protecting your skin from the sun. But yeah, it, it was crazy. That's crazy. I mean, all of those things going through that, and it's it's interesting that you know I wanted to bring this up because I, it's so it's so important for everybody to know that, you know, like Doug, he deals with um, PTSD and all those other things, but then you're also sitting here on the other side of the coin Mm -hmm. dealing with similar uh, symptoms from something that was different. Absolutely. Uh, And it really, 
it, it really taught me that having a a solid support system and taught me mm -hmm. how to support others in their time of need. It's, it's so important when you have a solid support system, you you really can get through anything. And I, I'm pretty sure Doug would say the same thing with regard to me supporting him in, you know, in the times that he has struggled, you know, Doug yeah. well, and, and he struggles from post-traumatic stress and depression and anxiety. And at times they can be quite severe and, and I'm his support system. And he says all the time, that's, that's why he gets through it because he has such a good support system. That's so awesome. That, I mean, that's, a, that's such a, it's such a powerful statement. And it's like, it's not that we're perfect. It's that mm -mm. we, we know where we're going and, you know, I want to even fast forward after your surgery, after you're going through all this stuff, you're an avid runner. And, yes. And, and, Although it's and been I, a couple months for me. Oh, I've come been on. really yeah. lazy. <laughs> yeah, my lazy man. Yeah. Um, but you after after you um kind of were cancer free, you wanted to celebrate one year and you what what did you do for that? So about three weeks after my surgery, I was registered to run the Miami Marathon. And yep. obviously uh, that did not happen that year because I, this, the, it wasn't just that one surgery. I wound up having four surgeries uh, in total to kind of reconstruct everything and, and make everything look normal again, which really Rob, if you think about it, I had a great surgeon. I had a great outcome because most That's people, huge. when they find out about my surgery, they say, I can't even tell. No, uh, that's why know, I was like, when I was reading about it, I was like, what, 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 what happened? Yeah. yeah. You don't uh, even know. So, so I did. I, the very next year, kind of for that one year anniversary, I ran the Miami marathon. Uh, Doug joined me on that. Uh, he did the half marathon, but uh, it was, it, it was so powerful. I remember, I think there's actually so a picture cool. of it as I'm coming into the finisher's shoot. Uh, putting my hands over my eyes because I was so overwhelmed that I had gotten through this. Uh, right. Basal cell carcinoma, it's not like melanoma. It's not going to take your life, uh, but it was so disfiguring. And for, which you know, does for, take, yeah. Which, which was huge for me. It wasn't anything I ever expected. And, and just the journey along the way, how I was able to wind up handling it and kind of, kind of owning it and sharing my story for others. So when I, when I got to the Miami Marathon and I crossed that finish line, it was, man, it was powerful. I actually well, heard, it was so weird. I grew up in Miami and yeah. when I was coming through the finisher's shoot, I don't even, I can't even remember who it was, but somebody yelled, go Karen. I heard it so clearly. And I found oh, no. out Seriously. that it actually was somebody that I had gone to high school with many, no many years kidding. ago that happened to be there. And yeah, isn't that crazy? That's so cool. But the, the, the mindset when, when you're going through the race, were there moments, I, and I don't know if you remember, but were there moments where, um, like, you maybe were thinking what if people were looking at you? Or were there moments when you were, like, 
just thinking about the whole process. Um, what was it like during the race? I know the the finish lines are always amazing. What was it like doing that race after all that process? There were a lot of emotions that day. I was I was actually trying to run it to I, I've run the Boston Marathon before. And so yep. I had a goal of qualifying again to run the Boston Marathon. Uh, and I was prepared. I was very ready to to make that qualifying time, though that did not happen. I had some issues about halfway through the race. And it it was interesting because that first part of the race, I was so focused on what my goal was. <laughs> and yeah. and normally what would happen if um oh rob i'm re- <gasps> i'm really sorry my i am this is probably the first time this has ever this has ever happened to you on a podcast but my no. cat just uh jumped into a really dangerous place in the closet yeah, go get him. and, and go i get gotta him. get him <laughs> yeah go get him oh no God. this is this is not the first go figure out this is not the first this is good stuff this is real life we're not talking fake like podcasts i don't even edit these this is this is real life you had you just where was doug when we needed him i know he he would have said he would have let the cats back again he's so ornery he's a bad cat Um, (laughs) anyway so it normally what would happen with me in a marathon i'm very competitive with myself uh, which interestingly enough you know we find this with with first responders as well right they're very critical sometimes of things um and that's how i was with my racing very critical and and competitive against myself and so that first half i was so focused and normally if i would have had a breakdown for lack of a better term, you know, a a cramp or something, I would lose my mind. It would ruin the entire day for me. But at mile 13, I got a side stitch and then I I wound up getting a (laughs) glute cramp and that was it. I had to pretty much, yeah, I pretty much had to walk the last 13 miles of the race with a little bit of jogging in between. But that's when I had my time to reflect on why I was really there that time. It wasn't to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I actually was there because I had persevered through something that was traumatic for me and and I made it And, and I finished it and I walked those last 13 miles with a huge smile on my face. Um, Everybody else who was riding. Yeah, everybody else who was riding the struggle bus that day with me, I walked with them, talked with them, laughed with them. And it just put so, so much into perspective for me on on what perseverance really is and, and how we can really, we can really train our minds to get through anything. That said, that was my last marathon. <laughs> well, why would you want to do any other one? I, I, I mean, really, truly, yeah, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, that was, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, having done Boston, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're fast, Yeah, but not so to have it be one of those where you're like, I'm trying to go for this great, great thing. Yeah. And then yeah. not getting it. But then at the same point, having the mindset and the mentality to go and go, well, this wasn't why I was here, I guess. <laughs> it, it really, it was really, really neat. And uh, when I obviously, when I finished, Doug was there. He had finished the half marathon, and that for him was a feat because 
that was 2019. That was, I think, a, a year before he had his second back surgery. So he struggled Jeez. through that. He was in pain. And, but, oh, you know, gosh. he said, I'm going to do this, you know, just so I can kind of do it beside you and, and support you. And that's what we do for each other. I love that. I love that. And you guys, that's a perfect transition into survive first. Um, kind of, this is your baby. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, sure. tell me, give me a brief overview of what is survive first and, and why you and Doug kind of said, Hey, let's, we need to have this. So survive first, we're a nonprofit. We're based out of Florida, but we actually help first responders nationally throughout the country. Um, we assist with peer support. Um, we have a treatment assistance fund. Uh, we do education and training for departments and agencies. And really, we're, we're there to help any first responder in need of mental health support from the impact of post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, substance abuse. Um, you know, we tend a lot of times to push that under the rug, substance abuse, but that yeah. that that is something that we see a lot. Uh, secondary, usually to depression and anxiety. And so um, that really is what Survive First is. We founded Survive First because of our own story. Uh, as you had said a little bit earlier, Doug, uh, he's retired law enforcement now. He retired in 2017. Um, the last, I don't know, however many years of his career, he was an undercover narcotics agent, um, but also spent time in the detective the detective bureau, um, you know, he worked uh, child sex crimes at one point um, and, you know, amongst other things. And, yeah. and he struggles and he had a failed suicide attempt in 2013 and in 2014 almost had a second suicide attempt, uh, but we were able to get him into treatment and, uh, you know, we went through a whole lot. Uh, we were yeah. a train wreck for for some time. This was before we were married, but uh, you know we were living together. We had bought a home together, and and we were a a true train wreck. He was suffering tremendously, uh, and so once we got through that, and we we learned how to support each other and be there for each other, and and learn to use the tools. Uh, we wanted to give back. We. We know others go through this, but if we can have any hand in helping others not to go through what we went through, right. um, if we can save a life, that's why we are here. That's that's so huge. Make sure you go to survivefirst.us. Yes. Um, that's one of the big things is understanding it from both sides of the coin. I think that's one of the things that's so hard um, when first responders go through this, they always think that it's just the first responder that's having to go through all of the ordeals. Yes, that's, you know, some of it, but the the spouse or the partner, whoever it is, is going through similar things, but in their own um, side of it. What yes. is, what is that? Like? I mean, how, because it's always about like, Hey, we got to help the first responder. We got to help the first responder. But it's no different than, you know, getting your crutches cut out one piece at a time. And then all of a sudden you don't have something to lean on because that person needs help. What right. is it about being that that support system or being in there? Um, how do you survive that yourself? Oh, that's, you know, that's a 
That's a good question. Um, I, <laughs> and it's not perfect. I mean, it's not perfect, but like it's something. It, you know, one, you have to have your your own support system. But what I will say is this, you have to be careful who you choose for your support system because <laughs> yeah. not everybody gets it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, most people on the outside don't get it. And so you have to be very careful as a, as a spouse um, or as a family member. I would say you have to be careful who you choose as your support system. You have to make sure that, that you truly trust your support system. Um, and, but you do. It's very important right. that you need a support system when, when your responder is in the crux of struggling. Uh, for me, education was key. And I, I think for me, one of, I don't know, not I think, I know (laughs) the biggest reason or the greatest reason why I was able to get through this, because, you know, when, when I say Doug was struggling and he does not hide this when he speaks, um, he, he was a, a mess. I'm sorry if that comes across the wrong way, but this is a real conversation and this is the yes. way I viewed it. He he was a mess. Um, the anger, uh, you know, there was infidelity and these are things that so that everybody knows we are very comfortable. We're very transparent. And when we talk about our story um, yes. and and for me, educating myself on what post-traumatic stress was, what depression and anxiety were, educating myself on what it what it is like to be a first responder. For me, I was looking at what it's like to be a cop, right? So I was even yeah. reading books that really were kind of meant for officers, not necessarily for spouses. Um, I, I did so much research, and, and I should throw this in there, my research started when Doug went to treatment. I spent huh. all of that time reading and reading and researching so that I had a clear understanding of what was really going on because I had fallen in love with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this was not who I fell in love with. And you don't just wake up one morning and you've changed overnight. Um, there's, right. there's always a reason there's a reason behind it. And so for me, um, I had a, a very small group of people that I trusted that were my support system. And, and basically, all they wanted was to see my happiness in the end. It, they did not give their opinions on what they thought I should do. It was all about, we just want you to be happy. And if you are happy oh. in the end, that's all we care about. Um, and and that was huge for me, really, really seeing like, wow, these people care that that much about me. Um, hmm. and, and then that education. That's, a, that's amazing. The extent to which you went to be able to be a part of that. And <laughs> is that, I mean, would you say knowing other spouses, is that something that's normal? Is that common? Um, I... I'm not sure how how common the the edu- the education is or educating yourself as as deeply as I did, right? Right. right. Um, 
you know, I look at it this way. Doug and I met in 2013, in September of 2013, and he was in treatment by January of 2014. So that was, what, four months that I had known him. So I had just fallen in love with him. And, And I was also going through a horrible horrible divorce, um, that the divorce itself uh, was traumatizing at times. And I had a choice. You know, I could say, what in the world is going on? I need to run as fast as I can (laughs) and get away from this. I don't need this in my life, right? Or I can educate myself. And sometimes I feel like because of where I was at in this relationship, uh, maybe that is what made me see it in a different way. And so I try to, when I speak to spouses, uh, because a lot of our spouses that that we work with, they've been married for many years. And so, you know, all of a sudden it's, oh my gosh, what has happened? I try right. to remind them, and Doug also says this when he speaks, um, you have to remind yourself of, who it was that you fell in love with. Hmm. That's huge. You have to, you have to remind yourself of who it was that you fell in love with, whether it was one year ago, five years ago, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, and, and try to pick apart. Why is it that they have changed? What is going on? What, you know, understand those signs and symptoms of, uh, of a mental health breakdown, if you will, and yeah. and ask yourself, are these the reasons for the change? Um, and and talk to your responder. You know, many times they'll tell you they're struggling, but you That's, have to be. You have to. You have to ask. I, I love this. This is like wisdom bombs just dropping out of the sky right here. <laughs> I love it uh, because it's so. It, a lot of times you don't hear those the that side because. You know, like I was saying before, I mean, from my side, I was always, you know, oh, I, I've got to fix this. I've got to do this. Or, you know, you don't really think about the other side. And sometimes that comes back to bite you in the ass, for lack of a better term. Well, and, you know, one of the things that that I also talk about is we all have to take ownership some way, right? So right. when when Doug was going, when we were going through the worst of the worst with both of us um, as a couple, right? Doug was in a bad, dark place. And there was a period of about six months where we had split up. I had moved out of the home and um, I was I was angry, right? right? I was angry right. with all the things that were going on, um, though I still loved him deeply. And and I still, at that time, would do anything for him. And, and I, I was really angry. And so I did some things. I said some really, really hurtful things in those six months, even before that, even before I had moved out there. There were things that maybe I was doing at home that were causing more, causing his anxiety to be even greater. And so that's the right. other thing we we need to recognize that it it takes a t- well it takes two. Uh, Vicky and Brent Newman, they're dear dear friends of ours. Vicky runs uh, How to Love Our Cops, and they yeah. have a saying: one team, one fight. Uh, we huh. were in California visiting them uh, in 
February of 2022 and we were staying with them. And in the morning we woke up, we were having coffee, the four of us, and we were just, you know, just talking about life, uh, having a good time. And, and of course we always get into the conversation about what we're doing <laughs> for first responders and what we're doing exactly. for spouses. And, and we tried to, to work together to find how can we do this better? And right. they came up with that one team, one fight. And that's awesome. How awesome is that? Because that makes sense. It's it's what it is. We're a team. Doug and I are a team. And whatever it is that either one of us is fighting, right? When I was fighting this this battle with my skin cancer journey, um, I, you know, when he was fighting any of his battles with depression. That's both of our fights. We're both there to fight that. We're one team and we've got one fight and we're going to fight it together. Uh, And so that's a powerful, powerful statement, isn't it? It is such a powerful statement because, I mean, and and then you think about the career fields that we're in. Mm -hmm. That is that is the nature of the career field. It's You take that aspect of what we know and we've done and everything like that and bring it into the, when you go home, it's the same difference. You fighting as a team. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a huge, powerful statement. And, and, and it rings true. I think that's the, that's the best part about it. It rings true in my head. I'm like, Oh, that's simple. It is. It's so simple. And when you can, when you can look at it that way, it puts a lot of, it puts a lot of things into perspective. That's not to say that I'm not here saying, you know, every, every relationship um, no, no, can yeah. be fixed. Um, you know, I, I'm not blind to that. But, but there are some things that we can do to try really, really hard to support each other and to understand each other so that we can get through these difficult times when they occur. That's so true. And, and, and that's that realistic perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the same kind of perspective that we have in the, as first responders. Not everything that we see in our job is something that we'll be able to understand. Right. And I, yeah. and I think that's, you know, that unknown with a lot of this stuff, especially with relationships um, among first responders. I mean, how many years has this been before people even started to bridge the gap of like, hey, how do we how do we address this? Isn't I mean, that crazy? Isn't that, it, isn't that nuts? <laughs> it, it is. It's it's nuts. But the beauty of it is that it is it's finally occurring. Uh and right. it, you know, it it started with just that that first responder mental health. And now we're starting to kind of bridge that gap with, you know, putting that piece of family in there. Because it it really is. It's just this, it's not just the responder. It's not just even the spouse. Um, It's the entire family. If you have a family that is unhealthy and things are going on, well, guess what? When, when fireman Rob goes to work or when, uh, you know, when, when Doug goes to work, you guys aren't going to be healthy because you have all this, you know, all this weight on your shoulders from what's going on at home. And right. so it's really, really important to to recognize those things, to 
to educate yourself as much as you can to recognize when there are little subtle signs, little subtle symptoms that that just aren't in the the normal daily routine of life and and talk about them. That's so huge. Hey, now here's the ultimate okay? question for you. Um, those questions are are all right to ask. Hey, are you okay? Right. I've noticed you're a little more agitated than normal. I still I still say that to Doug. You know, he has his ups and downs. And, oh, I can and imagine. I point it out when he has those those downs. Like, hey, are you all right? You know, things have been aggravating you um, a little more than normal lately. Uh, you know, are you all right? And and sure enough, he'll say, oh man, I'm really stressed or I'm really tired. Um, you know, I need a little bit of yeah. a break or you know. And then we work through it. Then we're able to work through it. So I got the ultimate question for you there, Karen. What what do you think it's going to take for this to sustain, to be something that's a habit rather than just a, a fad? Because in the police and fire service, you know, they're always fads. Like, you know, yeah. trying that's the hardest thing about our, our line of work is that they're always looking for the latest and greatest and then something goes away. What yeah. is it going to take to keep this in the forefront? Oh, wow. I... I, first, I really, really hope that this stays in the forefront because it is so important. Um, we are losing right. responders at at an alarming rate. Uh, I know, you know Doug and Raul and Chris and Chris, they've been up in Chicago with the Quell Foundation this week um, talking with Chicago PD. Uh, yep. If I'm not mistaken, I think they have lost 13 crazy. Uh, to suicide in 2022. Yes, that's crazy. Yep. Um, and when I woke up this morning, the first article that that popped up on Yahoo for me was, uh, I think, in New York yep. City. Um, yep, there, I just saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all they had a responder had jumped. I think from the top of a building uh, right next to the building where he had just been speaking to the police psychiatrist. Um, they were putting him on light duty and um, yeah. that's devastating. Yeah. Uh, now that's not to say that's the fault of the department, but it's no, just, it's, it's, it's devastating. Um, yeah. So this absolutely needs to stay in the forefront and uh, there are a lot of amazing organizations out there that are working as hard as they can to ensure that it stays in the forefront. Um, you know, and I, I think that that truly is what it's going to take is for these organizations that are out there to keep pushing and pushing and, and trudging along because we are making an impact and we are changing that narrative. Right. Um, and so we have to keep doing that. Uh, I think the biggest thing that one of the biggest things that we talk about with with our team at Survive First is I think that or we think we feel that first responders um, that are that are not necessarily command level, they're starting right. to get it they're reaching out more. Uh, in 2022, the number that reached out to us was far larger than 
any other year since we founded. Now, part That's of huge. that may, <laughs> yes, part of that may be just because our name is out there more. But I, I believe it's because we are getting, we are getting the word out, and responders are starting to trust that. Hey, there are some great organizations that that we can talk to about this. Um, yeah. The one area that I believe we need serious, serious work in is with our command level staff. They yeah. have to buy into it. And if they are buying into this, if they are seeing the importance, then those that those that are, are underneath them are going to, they're going to see that, hey, my, my chief, he believes in this. He's there for me. I can be open about how I'm feeling. Um, so I, I think that my hope is that this isn't going to be just a fad that, yeah. that finally um, many have realized this is something, this is real. Um, and it's, it's not going away so far as we no, can it's see. Not, this, uh, this it's not going to ever go away. I don't think, I, I right. think that's, it, that's, that's one of those things where a lot of people don't, you know, it, you, you, let me put it this way, because I'm going to probably get slammed for all of this, but um, PTSD is one of those things, and we have there's a lot of different philosophies on it. There's a lot of different research and all this other stuff, but you live with it for your life. You mm -hmm. do. You learn yeah. to adapt and cope with it. You learn yep. to take the goods with the bads, but you do not get the opportunity to have a day off. I don't get to call vacation day right. with my PTSD. That's right. not the that doesn't happen. I'm not going to slam you for saying that because I, I appreciate agree with that. You 100%. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. You certainly can develop and learn coping mechanisms right. uh, just as we have in, in my family. But Doug's PTSD has not gone away. Um, we just understand that this is something that we're going to have to live with. And we have we have those coping skills to deal with it. So, right. Um, right. It, it is, it's not going away. I, I hope and I pray that as we continue to normalize this conversation yep. in the first responder community, that we will begin to see the rate of suicides go down. But yes. there are so many pieces to the puzzle and so many um people, so to speak, that, that have to be part of this team. Um, you know, our, our responders out there have to know that, that they can, they can trust to be right. able to say, I'm struggling. I, you know, right. I need to talk to somebody. I need some help. Um, even just to be able to say, I'm struggling without being judged. That's huge. Yeah. But, you know, we, we can't, we can't judge. How can, how can you not struggle? Are you kidding me? Um, I, <laughs> I, like, I agree I with really you there. I really can't wrap my head around it. How, how can our responders not struggle with, with the things that they see, whether it's every single day or whether it's, once a year, the terrible things that they see, how can you not struggle? Because humans are not, we are not built no. to see these horrible things all the time. I, you know, I, I think back to, um, 
to a couple years ago at school, I watched a child almost get hit by a car. Oh, that that vision, they were crossing the street and there was a crossing guard. They were crossing the street and I was standing in the parking lot and I was watching them and this car comes flying down the road and I don't even know what they were doing comes flying down the road. And all I could do was just cover my eyes because I was too far away. All right. I could do was cover my eyes, say, oh, no, and turn my head. There was nothing I could have done to save that child if they would have been hit. Right. That that vision is so vivid in my head. <laughs> A Three perfect analogy. Later, yeah. I, and and nothing happened. Something right. just almost happened. And I still vividly can see that whole image play out in my head down to me, covering my eyes with my right hand, holding my other, my left heart wow. out, saying no, and turning my head to the left. I mean, that's how vivid that is. So how can what what you have seen on the job, what Doug has experienced on the job, what any first responder has experienced, even if it's just one time. Yeah. How can you not find that difficult, um, yeah. you know, to, to process and deal with? That's, that's such a great point. It's, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's the, it is the culture, but we, we can't change the culture. We can change no. the, the talk around the culture. We can change, we can make a new one. And because I think that's the biggest fear of a lot of people is they're like, oh, you're going to come in and change the culture and we're going to become too soft. It's like, it's not becoming no. too soft. It's not that, becoming too soft. If you're worried about, yeah. If you're worried about becoming too soft, then maybe there's something else that's going on. And let me tell you something else. Um, this just kind of popped into my head, and I truly, truly believe this. And this has to do um, with leadership. And I have met some amazing chiefs along the way in the last, um, you know, right. four to five years. I some amazing leaders. When I think about leadership and culture, and we think about priority, our priorities need to be, and this goes with any job, even with policing, even with fire, corrections, um, dispatch, our priority needs to be our employees and our workers first. <laughs> that needs to be our top yes. priority, because yes. if it's not, I get it, right? Keeping right. the, the streets safe, that's a priority. Sure, we can have five priorities, but the top priority needs to be our people. Because yes. if our people that. are not healthy, if our people are struggling, then all those other priorities, you know, Mean they're, nothing. They're, right, they're, <laughs> they're not going to get accomplished. <laughs> and if we put all those other priorities above our employees, if you will, if we right. put the other priorities above them, well, then what you're saying is, yep, you're, you're not as important. Go work. Go you are work. expendable. Yes. Is that what we want to tell our people? Oh, you're expendable. Right. Uh, you know, and, and it, it really is 
in my mind, it's that simple. Yeah, I agree with you. I love talking. This is see, this is why you should be on more podcasts. This is what I'm talking about, Karen. You're killing it. You're killing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. Make sure you go to survivefirst.us. Uh, Karen, I always end my podcast the same way. Are you ready for the three questions? Oh, gosh. Um, I hope yes, you I are. am. It doesn't, okay. it doesn't even matter if you are. You have to be. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so if you can go back to your 18-year-old self and, and tell yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, oh, that's such a, that's a tough one. If I could go back to my 18-year-old self, um, yep. I would probably tell myself to um, at an early age make sure that make sure that you are are doing what you can to love yourself um, oh, I like that. Yeah. And, and love love life uh, I had to learn that um, I was always very critical of myself um, I always had very very low self-esteem uh, through adulthood. And it wasn't until, uh, 2018 when I had that skin cancer journey, uh, that I, I really truly learned to love myself. That's awesome. That's all. That's yeah. That's a good, that's a good advice for any time in life. Yeah. Yeah. By far. All right. You ready for the second one? Here it comes. Okay. If you, everybody's going through challenges and struggles and a lot of times we don't know that they are, what would be two things that you would say, two habits that you would say somebody should incorporate into their life daily, whether they do it in the morning, evening, or night, doesn't matter. What would be two things that you would say incorporate into your life as a habit right now to continue to move forward? Um, time for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Whether that is sitting on the beach. Um, I, I say that cause you know, we, we live here in Cocoa beach. So the beach is uh, right Don't across rub the it in. For, Don't for rub us. it in. Um, I, you know, although as crazy as it, as this sounds, we actually never go to the beach. Uh, a lot of that has to do because uh, of, you know, now I don't lay out in the sun. When I go to the beach, I like to tan and now right. Uh, I don't really tan anymore. And so it's, it's not as fun for me, but, uh, <laughs> but the other like, oh. is you, you get used to the things that are, that are you, um, right there at your disposal and then you never use them. But I would say Boy. definitely take time for yourself. Um, because it's, it's really, really easy to, to go down a rabbit hole and always be doing things for, um, you know, for others or work, work, work. And we forget to take time just for ourselves. Get your nails. You you remember what you just said. So I want you to remember tomorrow what you just said on this podcast. I I will. I I have been trying. I have been trying really hard to practice that. I mean that when I say it, because I I I am. I'm very, very guilty of not taking time for myself. Uh, And so I have been trying very hard to do that. Even sometimes just uh, sitting on the sofa in silence. For some people, sitting in silence is is difficult. Um, But I find when Doug is traveling, you know, I have a lot of people that will say, hey, you know, come meet me for dinner. And sometimes I just need that time. (laughs) Right. 
I need that time for myself and I'll just sit on the sofa in silence. And the other thing that I would say is incorporate some form of activity into your life. So Um, important. Some form of activity, whether it is kayaking, skiing, walking, gardening, triathlon, um, whatever <laughs> it is, right? Because I moved from marathoning to, to triathloning. There you go. Um, but not every, you know, you don't have to be that extreme to incorporate activity into your life, but, but incorporate some sort of physical activity in, I would say into your daily life. It's so important. Um, it, it helps me tremendously and I, I, there's a huge, I notice a huge difference when I am not doing that yes. versus, <laughs> versus when, even when I don't want to get out and run or cycle or whatever, but I force myself to within 10 minutes, I'm, I feel so much better than I did when I was just sitting around saying, I'm too busy to do this or, uh, so, yeah, time for yourself and and physical activity. I love it. I love it. Now, are you ready for this last one? Because this one's gonna this one's gonna be interesting for you. Because I think you're gonna struggle with it. Oh, I don't like to struggle with questions. I, 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 I like I like it. But so, if you could have coffee at a firehouse table, which means no question is off the table, you can ask anything with three people. They could be deceased or alive. Who would those three people be, and why? Oh, I, See, that I is, told you. That's a hard. Oh, that's a really hard question. I, oh, You're gonna. Nice. You can do it. I have faith in you. I don't know if I can do this actually with three people, and I can ask any any question, question. that you've ever wanted to know. Any and and I have to tell you what the questions would be. No, no, no. You just had oh. to tell me the people. Okay. Um, then you have coffee. <laughs> we have coffee. Um, oh, Rob, I, I I feel like you have stumped me. I'm thinking of people that I can only think of, like people that. Um, okay. See, now you got coffee. it. I know you had. I, I've got one. I would sit down. I, I don't necessarily know if if I have an actual person, but I would sit down with um, somebody who has been met with some serious adversity, like um, losing a limb um, or, or a terminal illness. Um, And, and I would, because I, I would, I would want to, and somebody who has persevered through it as well. Um, So you think of, you know, maybe our, our Paralympic athletes. Um, oh yeah, actually, okay. That so yes, you, get, you that, found that, somebody, that did didn't take you? Me to, that did take me to one. Um, I follow this triathlete, uh, and she was in the Paralympics, and she was a guide for a uh, a blind triathlete. Yep. How how crazy is that, right? I oh, would actually God. sit down with that um, blind triathlete, and uh, because I would just. I would want to know how they persevere through, through being blind. Um, I, this is another thing you probably don't know about me. I have a, uh, an autoimmune disease that, um, 
What? That attacks the retinas of my eyes. And every time I have a flare up, it, it permanently robs me of more and more of my vision. Um, so oh my I, goodness. yes. So I live with that fear. Well, no, I don't live with that fear. It is what it is. If it happens right. one day, it happens. Um, I already have large blacked out spots in my, in my eyes. Um, if so that's I, why Doug looks so good. That's why Doug looks so good. I was totally wondering that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, in all honesty, if I cover up my right eye and I, and or I'm sorry, if I cover up my left eye and I were to look at your nose, the top left half of your face would be missing and the bottom right half of your face no would be way. missing. So I that, would that'd with, be a perfect conversation with that person. Yeah. I would sit with that, with that person. And um, I don't know, just, you know, pick their brain on their perseverance and all of that. Um, I, who, gosh, two more people. Can't we just stop at one? You can just go, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you, you only do one more. How about that? You I only have only, to do one more. And I knew I would stump you here. I only have to do one more. I, I would probably sit down with. You can tell you're a teacher because you like you you prompt it. <laughs> Your thought process is like the prompting side. I think, from the standpoint of my mind, um, <laughs> I would. I would sit down probably with somebody. Um, I would sit. All right. Here's one. So we have been to Africa, uh, yep. South Africa twice. And the last time we were there, I went to a school in a village, uh, and it was absolutely incredible, um, to see these children who, and adults who have absolutely nothing. Um, they don't have running water, uh, their school is a building made out of mud and the floors are just dirt. Um, and they're just so grateful for everything and singing and, and laughing. I, I think I would, I, I would sit down with one of those children as an adult. Okay. Um, and, and just, I don't know. I would just like to have a conversation with them. Um, because the the joy from the joy that I experienced from those children at that school in Africa was um, was something that was it was just eye opening. Um, yeah. It made you realize how that that we need to be grateful for everything that we have. Um, Simple things, right? Simple, yeah. The really, really simple things, because there are people out there that that don't have the simple things, but yet they're able to carry on through life with joy. Maybe it's because life is so simple, so, um, <laughs> and we overcomplicate joyful. it. Exactly. Well, Karen, it has been so awesome to have you on today. Make sure you go to survivefirst.us. Find out more. Karen, you have a good rest of your night. Make sure that cat doesn't go in that closet again. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. Anytime. No I hope no I see problem. you soon. No problem. Talk to you All soon. Right. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. 
Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.